So Dan Rude, if you know who that is, he's one of our pastors downtown. Uh, he was the first among uh, a lot of the, the young guys who was recognized as a pastor. Uh, and God has very greatly gifted, gifted Dan. Uh, he's blessed my life tremendously. Um, and I just have to admit, we were in a meeting once, though. And, <clears throat> and he said something about how... Uh, you, People should email him, and he is a really good responder to emails. And in the meeting, I laughed out loud because that had not been my experience with him. It was a very like short laugh, and I was like, oh, and I was the only one who laughed, and I was extremely embarrassed, and I was like, oh, the should not have done that. Oops, I'm sorry, Dan. Um, and and actually, Dan is a really good responder to emails. He has grown tremendously in that regard. God has, has grown him very much um, over the years. But as you remember, it was, it was embarrassing. Like, I laughed right in front of him. I was the only one who laughed. And, and there's this immediate sense of like, oh, no, like, that was not the thing to do. And I get the sense that that is probably how Abraham feels before God, as he, as he laughs to himself about the promise God has made him and Sarah that they're going to have a child. And if there's anything at all I hope that you hear this morning, it's that we need to trust our sovereign God's way over our own way, however logical or loving our own way may seem to us. And so this morning, uh, I just have a few headings, a few words to help kind of remember and, and guide us through the passage. Uh, they're laughter, love, logic, and laceration. You probably know what that last one's about. Um, I thought about naming it, you know, live, laugh, love, but, but we're going to refrain from that. So, um, but first, laughter. What happens first? Well, Abraham, he falls down and he laughs and says to himself, you know, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, at 99 years old, give birth? And, and he gets a sense he's kind of speaking to himself, and he has a little chuckle. Um, and in context, God, he's just restated his promise to Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations, and he's going to inherit the land of Canaan. And God has commanded Abraham to circumcise his entire household as a sign of the covenant between him, between Abraham, his family, and God. And God has renamed Abraham and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah. And so I'm so thankful now we can call him Abraham and call her Sarah instead of Abram and Sarai. Because in my brain, I'm like, I don't, I don't call him Abram. I call him Abraham. That's just like Father Abraham. You know the song. Um, but he's renamed them, he's given them new names, and he's promised Sarah that she'll be the mother of many nations. And so Abraham has started off well. He says he falls face down. So that's a really good start. Um, but he laughs. And, and part of me has to wonder, like, what is Sarah thinking? Like, God just gave you a name that means princess. And he's promised you children. And your husband sitting right next to you laughs, like, and your name is Princess. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Sarah, okay? But, but he laughs, and it's a little inappropriate. Um, but what's happening is that Abraham's faith, it's being pushed to the limits because he begins to reason within himself, 
It's like, imagine, you know, imagine we're back in 1960. The Minnesota Vikings are just being established as a team, as a football team. I'm from Minnesota. And God issues uh, a a promise to, and he creates a covenant people of the people of Minnesota. And he promises them the Vikings will win the Super Bowl someday. Thirteen years later, they make it to the Super Bowl and they lose to the Chiefs. A few years later, they lose to the Steelers. A few years later, they make it again, lose to the Raiders. In all in all, they've had 63 seasons, made it to 31 playoffs, been to the Super Bowl four times, and they have never won the Super Bowl. I think the first time here I took a jab at the Packers, so I'm taking a jab at the Vikings this this week. Um, But it's like, imagine God gave that promise, and today, any Vikings fan, if they're like, yeah, okay, we're going to win the Super Bowl, okay, like, we hope they do, but we know to expect a loss. And we can kind of chuckle about that. And our initial reaction to God's commands and his promises can often be an emphatic, yes, Lord. You know, when we first come to know Christ, sometimes we feel like we can, we can run through a wall. But as life and as logic kind of works itself into our brains, we can begin to doubt the promises of God. And after we think it over, we can, we can waver a little bit. And so what happens is this next part, logic. Verse 18, it says, Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, no, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son. You'll name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. And so Abraham's logic here, it, it is based on human ability. You know, the, the son Ishmael, it was this strategy to try to fulfill the promise of God through Hagar. And Abraham's like, okay, well, God, we already got this son, I know it maybe wasn't the way you planned it, but, but can't you just like use that? It's already here. You don't have to go through that extravagant, like having a son through us who are like over 100 years old. And his logic, it moves him to propose a different plan to God. But Abraham's logic is going to meet God's plan. And our logic, in a lot of the same ways, when we start thinking through life, it can often be based on our own ability. It can move us to propose different plans, and we need to meet God's plans as well. Just as I was thinking through this message, um, I was driving to go get lunch with a friend, and, and I missed my exit, and I was like, oh no, okay. So I, so I go further down, I take the next exit, and then I hit every single red light on my way back around to meet my friend for lunch. And I was thinking like, God, like, don't you know, like, if I hit these red lights, I'm going to be late. Um, and my own logic is kind of working in like against, well, God's plan, I guess, was to me to hit this red light, you know, okay, well, whatever that is supposed to look like. But, but when we meet the commands of God, it works itself out in a very similar way. Like we're commanded to love our enemy. And we say maybe to God at, at times, but God, uh, that person, they never treat me, treat me fairly or with any regard whatsoever. They don't give a hoot about me. And God says, I, I know, I know, but if you love those who love you, like what reward isn't that? Like is that? Like isn't that the way non-Christians live? Non-Christians love people who love them. They, they don't love people who hate them. 
Or, or if we're called to forgive someone who's a Christian. You know, we can think, but God, they really hurt me. And they are a Christian. They shouldn't be doing that. Someone, someone needs to step in and someone really needs to make things right here. I don't care what it takes. And God says to back, well, I, I know that, that was wrong, but you need to forgive them. And you know, like every right doesn't, doesn't need to be exacted justice on that right. Well, like why not rather be cheated? As it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Now there's times to, to even go to court, but, but the, those kinds of things, they, they grate against our soul like, wait, but, but God, like, logically, I should, I should exact revenge here, or, or I should at least get some, some kind of justice. And I'm like, well, maybe, but maybe not. Or, or, you know, we're commanded to live with integrity, and God, you know, we say to God, but God, does, does it really matter, like, this thing I'm doing over here? No, no one's going to see it. It's not going to affect anyone. And God says, but, but don't you know, like, I'm, I'm always with you? And what you do in your private life, like, it affects our relationship. I grieve over your sin. I rejoice over your obedience. And didn't you know that, that the Father, he sees what you do in secret, and he will reward you. And so there's times when, when our own logic, uh, it, it works itself against maybe God's commands or his, or his plan, and our logic, it needs to meet God's plan. Because God, he is sovereign. If there's one thing we need to understand about God, the first is, is that he is sovereign. He is in control. He has all authority. He has all power. He has every right to say to anything what it should or shouldn't do. And God's sovereignty, it operates within his, with his omniscience as well, that he knows all things. And he knows way more than we do. And he has complete power and authority to accomplish all of his plans. And so whenever a situation comes into our life and our logic starts working itself out to, to somehow not obey God, like we need, we need to stop thinking, okay, wait, no, like I, this is God's plan. Whatever circumstance it is, God, he has allowed it into my life. And he is in control of that circumstance. So not only logic, though, not only does logic lead us sometimes to disobey the commands of God and propose our own plans, um, but sometimes it's love or what we perceive to be love. You know, there can be blatant hatred for God. Blatant hatred leads us to, you know, disobey God. But loving something or someone else more than God it can lead us to propose a different plan as well. Verse 20 says, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. And he will father 12 tribal leaders. And I'll make him into a great nation, but I'll confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. And when he finished talking with them, God withdrew from Abraham. And so what's motivating Abraham you know, you could say, like, okay, there's naturalistic reasoning, like, God, we already got a son, like, we worked it out, I had Hagar, like, can't you just use this? It seems more reasonable. But he's a father as well. And he loves his son, Ishmael. And he sees this promise, he says, well, God, but what about, you know, I, I know my wife, I know Sarah's kind of written off Ishmael and, and Hagar, she's, you know, that relationship, but, but I love my son, like, what about him? 
And what we see in this passage is that God, he is way more loving than we would ever expect. That he loves even Ishmael more than Abraham does. And God, he shows his love and his grace towards Abraham, towards Hagar, towards Sarah, and towards Ishmael. Towards Abraham, he listens to his prayer. He says, I've heard you. I hear you, Abraham. And he redeems Abraham's mistake. That the sleeping with Hagar, that should not have happened. And the product of that was Ishmael. And now it's like, well, what is God going to do with, with that? And he's not going to give him the fulfill the covenant through Ishmael. That's, that's not going to be the plan. But you know what? God says, he, he's going to be the father of, of many nations as well. I'm not going to fulfill my covenant through him, but I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bless him, you know? And oftentimes, sometimes when we've failed, when we've made mistakes, it's like, oh, God, like, uh, you know, we wanted him to use it in this way, but he's going to refine us through the mistake. He wants to use it in, in another way. And the, the point here is that God, he takes even our failures, and he uses them as a means through which to love and bless people. He wants to redeem even our mistakes. Towards Ishmael and Hagar, like he promises to Ishmael, like you're going to be abundantly fruitful. You're going to be the father of many rulers, a great nation. And Hagar probably is like, wow, like that's great. I, I'm going to be taken care of. This is, this is going to work out. And he shows his love and grace towards Sarah. What he says is he promises her a son. And this is a new feature of the promise, a new addition to the promise in one year. He puts a time stamp on it. It's like, okay, it's coming. I wish the Vikings had a time stamp on that promise. <laughs> One year. <laughs> Just kidding. But sometimes it's like we can miss all of this because we you know, miss God's plan because we think that our own love is motivating us to propose a different plan. And, and because our, we're so loving or, or this command, it, it makes God seem less loving than our way. It's like love becomes this, this means by which we, we divert ourselves from God's plan. For example, with your spouse, <laughs> sometimes uh, marriage is really, really hard. And we say to God, but God, like, oh man, like, why did you give me this spouse? Like, do you, do you hate me? <laughs> I'm being extreme. Um, but I don't know about you, but, but sometimes it's hard. And God said, no, 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 just, just the opposite. I love you. And, and you know what? You're actually not that lovable yourself when I found you. Remember that? And in fact, it's, it's this trial right here in, in the relationship that I'm going to use to prune you, to make you more fruitful, and yeah, it's going to be hard, but, but it's worth it. And if your friends can't see me in your most intimate relationship, will they ever want me for themselves? Or, or with your family. You know, you, maybe you think about like how to raise your own kids, how to raise your kids to love and fear God. And you say, but God, if I did this your way, it's going to look really unloving to all my friends, to, to my family, to my neighbors, they, they're just not going to get it. And, and it's going to make me look really weird. And doing this way, this year, it's just going to impose, like people are going to just look and think, that's, you, you do really love your kids. And God says, yeah, I know that. I know that. And don't stir up your children to anger, Ephesians 6, 4. Don't do that. 
but you should bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And that's going to be really hard because our definition of love, it's, it is different than the world's definition of love oftentimes. But love means we need to protect and guide those under our care. And the thing is, God loves people way more than we do, and he is relational and accomplishing his plans often through willing participants. And often what we need is that we need this bigger picture of God, that he is sovereign, he is all-powerful, he is in control, and he is completely loving. That he himself, he is love. What we see from here is that, is that God, when he, when he leaves Abraham, it says that he withdrew from him. And the word there is, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's Allah, A-L-A, A-L-A, I don't, know, I don't know how to pronounce it, whatever. And the word means he went up. And in Genesis 15, when God, when he gave the promise to Abraham, he told him to look at the stars and see if you can count them. He, tells, he gets Abraham's eyes up on the heavens to, to see how big he is that he can fulfill this promise. And now when he withdraws from Abraham, he leaves him looking up again. And so we need a bigger picture of God. We need to put our eyes on the Lord, that he is all-powerful, loving, and knowing, that he's not some bully just trying to get his own way, and he's not a weakling wanting to do good, but not able. And he's not just a grand chess master who can kind of, who has to work within our circumstances that we impose on him and, and maneuver things towards the wind. No, he is completely in control and he loves everyone and he is powerful. And now we come to the last part, the laceration. Verse 23, it says, So Abraham took his son Ishmael, and those born in his household were purchased, every male among the members of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on that very day, just as the Lord had said to him. And what I want to point out here is that this passage, it ends, this paragraph, it ends, seems like it ends scene one of Abraham's life. It's, it's what we call a chiasm, where the beginning and the end are the same, and then they build in towards a middle point. And this is like the magnum opus of Abraham's obedience to God. It's a very poetic statement, this last paragraph. And it's like God is saying, like, look at this obedient father and what he does with his family. Fathers, we can take note. Verse uh, so verse 23, a few observations as we, as we kind of build in from, from the ends of this paragraph towards the middle, is that all people, regardless of descent, nationality, or socioeconomic status, are brought into a new covenant community. So as you took Ishmael and those born in his household, or purchased, people, you know, who, who end up being Jews, you know, through Abraham and his line, and, but, but, Non people not part of his family, people who are purchased. And it ends with the same thing, whether born in his household or purchased from a foreigner, were circumcised with him in verse 27. Second thing we can observe in this magnum opus is that only men receive the sign of the covenant. 
ladies, you're probably very thankful for that if you were living back in that day. It's every male among the members of Abraham's household. You know, all men, verse 27, all the men of his household. I mean, there's, like, God could have instituted some sign that all members had to partake of, but only the sign was given to men. And that's fine. But all, all people, all of these people were same, part of the same community under the covenant. Third thing about, third feature of this, this magnum opus, as I want to call it, is Abraham's obedience. It was complete and it was immediate. It says he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins on that very day, just as God had said to him. Verse 26, on that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. It's complete, it's immediate. On that very day, he did it, as God told him to do. And the middle feature is that Abraham and Ishmael were both circumcised. Verses 24 and 25 are are where the main point of this paragraph lie, it seems like. It builds towards the middle. It says, Abraham was 99 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. And his son Ishmael was 13 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. It's so much repetition going on here that it is very poetic, this whole paragraph. And what we see is that both young and old are brought into one covenant community. Those whom God would work through, like Abraham, to fulfill his covenant. And those through whom he was not going to fulfill his covenant through. Even Ishmael receives the sign of the covenant. And so what we can see is that, is that all people were invited into this community to know God. People who, through whom he was not going to fulfill the covenant and people through whom he was going to fulfill the covenant. And what we can see is that the same God who loves all people here today when we read the New Testament, he loves all people, even in the Old Testament. And the point of it, the point of it is this, is that there's a new community of people in the Old Testament now, bound in covenant together with a God who is sovereign and benevolent. This is, in many ways, what commentators call it. This is like the birthday of the Old Covenant community. It's like, you know, how Pentecost created the church? You know, at Pentecost, we say that's, that's the beginning of the church. This is like the beginning of the Old Covenant community. Second big thing we can draw out of this is that Abraham, he demonstrates that he knows this God by his active obedience. That faith, it it receives the righteousness of God, that through faith comes righteousness. And because of faith, by faith we obey God. That our obedience, it is the fruit of a right relationship with God. We see this in James. You know, J- James talks about how though being justified, you know, it, it is by works. And we look at that and say, what? And th- you have to parse it out because what James is saying is, is not that we're saved because of works, but our works prove our justification. They are the evidence and the fruit of it. And Genesis 15 says that God saw that he had faith and he gave him righteousness. Here, Abraham, he begins to demonstrate that righteousness. He, he actively obeys God's command to circumcise the entire household. 
And so in closing, I just want to encourage us with a few things. First, you know, I want to encourage you, remember God's sovereignty and his love. That God, you know, we need to remember he is, he is all powerful. Every circumstance, every situation in our lives, he is in complete control of. And he is absolutely loving. That whatever that is that's in your life, it's not outside of his control, and it is there because he, he loves you and I. Second, I encourage you to aim at a simple, complete, God-oriented obedience. You know, you can think back to maybe when you first became a Christian, you know, and you were willing and saying, God, I'm going to run through that wall, you know, and and we shouldn't be, you know, just, just kind of uh, loose and, and, and just uh, do whatever impulse comes into our hearts. Um, but I think when it comes to the commands of God, that, that we say, God, yes, I'm going to obey it. I'm, and whatever that is, if we say, yeah, I'm going to run through that wall. Like, of course, I'm going to do it. A simple, active, God-oriented obedience. Third thing, and I know this is not up there, but fathers, take, take active note of how Abraham leads his family. That his obedience is not just him, but his obedience is, is for the entire family, to bring them all, his entire household, to bring them all into a covenant community. And it works a little different here in the new covenant. Um, you know, it's not like kids get, get saved just because their dad's saved. Um, but but fathers, lead your family into the worship of God. Be that kind of father. Oftentimes, our own logic and our own idea of what love is, they, they can lead us to think and, and try to plan our lives differently than, than God would have it. Um, but I love this quote from J. Vernon McGee. Um, he says, uh, this is God's universe, and God does things his way. You may have a better way, but you do not have a universe. And it is so true. It is so true that we need to confront life and its circumstances knowing who God is and his love for us. And we need to trust God's sovereignty over our own way, however logical or loving our own way seems to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this morning, God. And God, I uh, just pray that uh, Lord, that whatever hard thing is, is going on in our lives, God, that causes us to uh, try to maybe um, uh, plan our lives in a direction that, that, um, that you don't want us to go down, that you have a different way in. God, I pray that we trust you in that. God, even if, it, even if it's hard, even if it brings uh, some element of, of suffering into our life, God, God, help us to be willing to embrace that and, and accept that, God. Uh, we thank you that, that we can see at the cross how you use suffering uh, to redeem all of humanity, Lord. God, so I just pray that you'd, you'd help us to, to walk in obedience before you. Let me pray. Amen.